We know from this week's parsha that Hashem did not want Yitzchak to leave Eretz Yisrael even when there was a famine. And the question is why? The Midrash gives an indication that it's because Yitzchak was so holy, he was compared to an oila that may not leave Israel. And Rashi says, because outside of Israel was not suitable to Yitzchak. These are two very different messages, and we have to analyze why the differences, which will bring us to a conversation about what was the status of Israel at that particular point in time. Was it already ours? And by extension, was it already holy? Which, of course, goes to the core question of how much the Avois and the Imohis were actually able to impact the world with holiness prior to the giving of the Torah. Commenting on the Pasuk that says, Hashem appeared to Yitzchak and he said, Alter, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the land that I will tell you to be, and you should remain as a sojourner in this land. So Isa ben Medrash, Medrash comments, Why does Hashem tell him that you should remain as a sojourner in this land? So Rabbi says it's because Hashem told Yitzchak, you are like an oila, like a pure oila offering. Ma oila im This is important language, we'll see later in the Sicha. Just like an oila, if it goes outside of the precinct, the walls of the Beis Amigdash, it would be disqualified. Likewise, you, Yitzchak, if you would go outside of Israel, which is your precinct, you would be disqualified from your holiness. That's according to the Medrash. Yitzchak, don't leave Eretz Yisrael because you're too holy to go. How does Rashi explain it? He says, Don't go down to Mitzrayim. Yitzchak figured that just like his father at the time of his famine had gone down to Mitzrayim to get food, Yitzchak figured he should do the same. So Hashem said to him, No, I'll tell you Mitzrayim. Don't go down to Mitzrayim because she'ato oila tamimo. Same reason because you are an oila tamimo. You're this beautiful sacrifice to Hashem. As a result of that kedah, ve'ein chutzalaret kedai lecha. For which reason chutzalaret is not suitable to you. Slightly different message. So what's Rashi trying to tell us? So that what is Rashi trying to say? Seeing as Yitzchak has the status of an oilah tamima, which has the status of the holiest type of carbon you can have. So therefore, So therefore, the entire Eretz Yisrael, for him, is like the, the precinct of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, outside of Eretz Yisrael will be the equivalent of Yitzchak, for Yitzchak of an oila going outside of the Beis HaMikdash. And we know that an oila is never allowed, or any other Kodesh Kadashim carbon is never allowed to leave the Beis HaMikdash. And if it did, it would be disqualified and be us, so nobody could ever, ever enjoy it. So now, if we go with the Re'aim's interpretation, Rashi and the Medrash are basically saying the same thing. Because you're an Oila Tamima, you may not leave the boundaries that are allocated for an Oila. For the Korban, it's the base Hamikdash. For you, Yitzchak, it's Eretz Yisrael. That's what the Re'aim says. But the Rebbe will show us that that's actually not what Rashi is telling us. When you really pay attention closely to what Rashi says, if you look at how the Medrash words things versus how Rashi words things, there are certain distinctions. 
which are not just linguistic distinctions, but they illustrate that there's a different interpretation according to Rashi versus the Medrash. And we'll focus on two. Aleph. The language the Medrash used was that if Yitzchak would leave Eretz Yisrael, he would be disqualified. If you go out, you are apostle. And they would be compared to an oiler that had gone outside of the walls of the base Amigdash. Whereas Rashi does not create that emphasis of leaving the space, rather Rashi says if there's something about Eretz, about outside of Eretz Yisrael which is not suitable to you, Yitzchak. So we need to analyze that different, that difference. Second thing, the Medrash commented on the words where Hashem tells uh, it tells Yitzchak, live in this land. Whereas Rashi's emphasis is where Hashem tells him, don't go down to Mitzrayim. So that already shows you there's a difference. And Medrash is focusing on why you need to be in Eretz Yisrael, and Rashi is focusing on why you need not to be outside of Eretz Yisrael. Once you look at these two distinctions and the fact that they obviously are interrelated, then you understand Now you understand the Medrash and Rashi are actually saying different things, not like the Re'eim, that they're all sharing the same message. From the, the Medrash perspective, the reason that Yitzchak should not leave Eretz Yisrael is because Eretz Yisrael is a special place and it's very holy. And therefore, in Yitzchak's personal experience, for him to be inside Eretz Yisrael has the same halachic status as a carbon oil being inside the Beis Amigdash. So if therefore they say, if you go outside of Eretz, of Eretz Yisrael, you lose your status, because you've, lived, you've left this holy space. So the Medrash emphasizes the greatness of Eretz Yisrael, therefore don't leave because you're an oiler. Whereas Rashi doesn't speak that language. Rashi doesn't say that don't leave Eretz Yisrael because Eretz Yisrael is special or great. Rather, don't leave Eretz Yisrael because outside of Eretz Yisrael is lowly. Outside of Eretz Yisrael is not suitable for you. Which is why Rashi doesn't put his commentary on the words of why you should live in Eretz Yisrael, but rather on the words that say, don't go down to Mitzrayim. So the question is, why is the Medrash um, focused on the one and Rashi on the other? The Medrash is focused on the greatness of Eretz Yisrael and the Oilar precinct, and Rashi is focused on the downside of Chutz and don't go there. So we'll see. Perhaps we have a way to explain the difference between them. The Medrash looks at the key factor of here is how holy is Israel? How holy is it? Eretz Yisrael is holier than any other place. Therefore, 
So therefore, in Yitzchak's experience, if he leaves Eretz Yisrael, it's like the oiler going out of the holiest place on earth, the Beis Hamikdash, to some other place. And therefore, ma Just like if the oiler went outside of the Beis Hamikdash walls, it is automatically disqualified. If you go outside of Eretz Yisrael, that's it. You you lose your greatness. So that's the focus of the Medrash, the greatness of Eretz Yisrael. Rashi is looking at the Pshat. What's the Pshat? Pshat is that during the time of the Avos, that land was still called Canaan, and it did not have any overt Kedusha. So therefore, to emphasize that it's the Kedusha that precludes him from leaving doesn't make sense according to Pshat. So therefore Rashi has to explain why don't you go to, to, to outside of Eretz Yisrael. Not because Eretz Yisrael is holy, because we don't yet know that it's holy. But rather because Chutz Loretz is lacking. So maybe that's the explanation. That according to the Medrash, they, we already focus on the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. And according to the Pshat, which Rashi looks at, the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael has not yet taken hold. Maybe that's why they're disagreeing. As beautiful as that sounds, it actually falls short. And in order to understand why it falls short, let's ask a different question. Is this the first time that there was a question about Yitzchak leaving Eretz Yisrael? The notion that Yitzchak should not leave Israel, we already discovered it in the last parasha, When Avram dispatched Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak in Chutzlaretz, go to my land to find a wife, to which Eliezer asked, what if the woman is the appropriate wife, but she doesn't want to come here? Is it appropriate to take Yitzchak there? Avram already told him then, Be very careful. Do not under any circumstances take my son there. And nobody suggests that the reason Yitzchak should not go to wherever the wife may come from, from Avram's hometown, is because he is an Oila Tamima. So here we thought that that's the big thing. The Medrash is telling us, Oila Tamima and the Kedusha Seret Yisrael. Well, why did that not come up the first time that we discussed the possibility of Yitzchak leaving? So let's try another explanation. Let's try a different perspective according to halacha, which is the halacha of when is it or is it not appropriate to leave Eretz Yisrael. The halacha is clear that a person living in Israel may not leave permanently. Unless the person is planning to learn Torah outside of Eretz Yisrael, they have to find a shidduch. And even then, we still encourage the person to come back. They need to come back. But for a person who lives in Eretz Yisrael to now go permanently live outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's absolutely forbidden. Unless there's a terrible famine. How do you define a terrible famine? Where the price of wheat doubles. Then you have the, the, the excuse to leave Eretz Yisrael. So now, once we know that, we can distinguish clearly between what's happening in our parasha where there's a famine and in Chayesara where we're looking for Shidduch. 
In Parashas Chayisara, where Eliezer suggested maybe Yitzchak should go live in the, his wife's hometown, which is which is a suggestion that Yitzchak should settle permanently outside of Eretz Yisrael without the option of coming back because logically she doesn't want to come. So obviously he's going to land up over there. So maybe that's why it was completely out of the question because you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael permanently. Which would explain why Avram Avinu said, Be absolutely careful, Eliezer, that you don't take my son there. Whereas in our parasha, we could excuse the move. Seeing as it's a time of famine. Where there is no prohibition against going to live in outside of Eretz Yisrael. Because you need to survive. We actually see that Avram Avinu did that when there was a famine in his time. So now you might think there's a halachic loophole to be able to go outside of Eretz Yisrael. Now, Dafka, Hashem has to tell him, you know what? That might apply to everybody else, but not to you. You may not leave. You have to live here. Now we realize that there's a unique reason that applies only to Yitzchak, why he may not leave Eretz Yisrael under circumstances that would be acceptable for anybody else. What's the reason? Because he's an Oilat So maybe that's the explanation. It's an issue of halacha. Even that, says the Rebbe, Aval Kosha Leforishkain does not really make sense. Why? Have a look what the Rambam says. After the Rambam tells us the halacha is clear that in the case of a famine you may permanently leave Eretz Yisrael. Says the Rambam, even though you're permitted to go, it's not the ideal way for a person to behave. And he'll prove it. Look what happened in the story of, of uh, Naomi and her two sons-in-law that they had all good reason to leave Eretz Yisrael. There was a terrible famine. They were great people. And they were punished with death. So therefore, if we're going to suggest that the halachos, because we've just quoted the halacha as a possible explanation. There's a halacha about when you may or may not leave Eretz Yisrael. And that halacha was possibly the consideration of Yitzchak in the story. If that's true, that it was a consideration, the halacha... And you'd say, well, the reason is because the Avos kept the whole Torah even before it was formally presented. Even as we know, Avram Avinu ate matzah on Pesach, and we know that they kept certain things which are Dirabona. So if you're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael, they for sure would never have left Eretz Yisrael if it's not the appropriate way to behave. could carry such a serious punishment like we see with Machlin and Kilion that they died. So in other words, if you're not supposed to leave Eretz Yisrael because of Halacha, then Avram Avinu would also not have done it. Furthermore, we even find evidence that Avram Avinu, after the Bris Ben Abbasarim, went back to, back to Choron, even though there was no famine. So it seems a bit 
far-fetched to suggest that the Isser Yetziah Mi'eretz Yisrael applied to the Avos at that time, which means it can't really be the explanation of what's going on in our conversation. Why you have to tell me? It's because that's why Yitzchak can't leave. Because, you know, ordinarily for a famine you could leave, but for no other reason. Looking at Avram Avinu's behavior, it tells us that there clearly was no halachic restriction on leaving Eretz Yisrael in their time. So if there's no restriction against leaving Eretz Yisrael, then the Avos don't have to be careful not to leave Eretz Yisrael. In spite of the fact that they observed all mitzvahs. You have to say that the extent of Eretz Yisrael being that holy that you may not leave it had not yet come into effect. Like the Mechilta tells us before Eretz Yisrael was formally defined as the holy land, anywhere in the world was suitable for Hashem to communicate with Nevi'im. And only Dafka, once Eretz Yisrael became a holy place, then that level of Nevoah was no longer available outside of Eretz Yisrael. Aye, so now you're going to ask yourself the question. If the Avos did not have a restriction against leaving Eretz Yisrael, why was Avram so careful to tell Eliezer, don't dare take my son there? It's quite logical why Avram Avinu did not want Yitzchak to go to Choron, even simply according to Pshat. You'll actually see it in Avram Avinu's narrative to Eliezer in the next Psukim. Because what did he tell him? Hashem promised this land to me and my descendants. Seeing as Eretz Yisrael at that point, Canaan, was the land that was guaranteed and, and dedicated to Yitzchak, it would be completely illogical for Yitzchak to leave. Why would you leave the land that Hashem has allocated you to have? So this has nothing to do with the broader halachic spectrum of whether or not you may need leave Eretz Yisrael. This is, Hashem promised you a piece of land. Where on earth do you think you're going? So that's a perfectly logical explanation why he told Eliezer, don't take Yitzchak there. Whereas in our parasha, it's now there's a famine and you have no choice. You've got to go somewhere else where there's food. There is no logical reason to think that Yitzchak should not go temporarily somewhere where there's food until the end of the famine. Until we discover that there is another reason that Yitzchak personally has to consider being an oila tamima, and that's what the Medrash wants to illustrate us. He's an oila tamima; he can't go. But there's still another question. Something doesn't add up. So you've just told me that Eretz Yisrael is not yet uniquely holy. What's the difference then if Yitzchak is an oila tamima? The concept of a holy land doesn't exist. Especially since the Major says, you are like an oiler, just like the oiler may not leave the base amygdash, you may not leave Eretz Yisrael. Why? Eretz Yisrael is an ordinary land at this point in time. Unless, of course, we don't understand the nature of the holiness of Eretz Yisrael at that point in time, and the difference between Harashi and the Medrash both see that holiness. 
By observing another distinction in how Rashi and the Medrash each words, word their explanations, that will actually give us the insight we need. And the Pasuk regarding the Bisman ben Abbasarim says like this, On that day Hashem made a covenant with Avram to say, I'm giving your descendants this land. Now the question is, what does Nasati mean? That actually sounds like past tense. I have given this land. The Medrash understands from that, that the minute Hashem says, I've given the land, it's already happened. That's why it's in past, not future tense. Hashem is not saying, I will give them the land. He says, I have given them the land. Just the declaration itself already gives the land to the people. So the Medrash sees in that, that Eretz Yisrael is ours already from Brisbane Abbasurim. Whereas Rashi interprets that same phrase saying, That the minute Hashem says it, it's like it has been done, but it hasn't yet actually happened. That means that Rashi and the Medrash have divergent views on how much Eretz Yisrael was ours at that point in history. So it turns out, the attitude of the Medrash is at the time of the Brisbane Abbasarim, just the very announcement that Eretz Yisrael is yours, already made it ours. From that point on, Eretz Yisrael was now the acquisition of Avram Avin and his descendants. And that would also fit with the Gemara Talmud Yerushalmi that says, Nasati is not a promise, and a Kvar Nasati, it's an, it's an action that's already taken place. Which means that the Medrash is of the view that Eretz Yisrael is ours even before we ever get there and settle the land. Similar to what the Gemara Talmud Babli says, that Eretz Yisrael is already ours. It's already our inheritance right from when? From our forefathers before Matan Torah and before the conquest by Yehoshua. So according to the Medrash from the time of Avram Avinu Eretz Yisrael belongs to all of us. Rashi's attitude is different. The announcement by Hashem the promise that Eretz Yisrael will be yours is not yet the actual handover. According to Rashi, it is not from that moment and on that Eretz Yisrael is ours. Rashi says, all it is is that um, uh, the, the announcement by Hashem makes it as if the work has been done. But practically, it's not yet ours. So why is it in past tense? Why does Hashem say, I have given? That could fit. could say, I intended to give. I've already planned to give this to you. I've already allocated it for you. But it's not yet yours. But we have to understand Rashi may have a good point yet the Medrash and Halacha Lamaisa tells us that when Hashem says something specifically about Eretz Yisrael it already impacts the world and therefore it's Taka from the moment that Hashem allocated the stand by announcing it at the Brisbane Absarim that it actually became ours so now comes the key question for us. 
Why then do we not say that the land was already 100% holy at that point in time? And therefore, Avram Avinu could not leave it because it was a holy land. It seems to be contradictory. You're telling me the land is already Avram Avinu, Shrem, Brisbane, Abbasarim. But then you're telling me that after the Brisbane, Abbasarim, he was allowed to leave. But you're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael because it's holy. So how is it yours but it's not yet a holy land? Besides, um, it will be beyond that. came in Shamatzinu, we know that from the time that Hashem created the world, He had already chosen Eretz Yisrael to be the holy place. Then we even could argue that Eretz Yisrael was holy already from the beginning of creation. So surely already from that point, or certainly from the Brisbane Abbasarim, all the things associated with the holiness of Eretz Yisrael should be in effect. Which would include that you may not leave Eretz Yisrael, no matter who you are, not only Yitzchak, who is in a unique category, because he is an Oilotamima. So how is it possible that Eretz Yisrael could be ours and yet not be a holy land? It seems absolutely contradictory. So the explanation is this. In many, many places we've explained in Chassidus, the Rebbe specifically, the big difference between how mitzvahs impact the world in the time of the Avos prior to the giving of the Torah and now, nowadays, after the giving of the Torah. Because the Avay sent any of their family prior to the giving of the Torah, they did Torah mitzvahs without having been instructed by Hashem to do so. Therefore, it's impossible to believe that a human being using human strength and ability and human initiative should be able to change the nature of something that Hashem had created. Hashem created the world to be mundane. You and I, we don't have the power to transform that into something holy. So in other words, it was impossible prior to the giving of the Torah that by doing a mitzvah, you could actually transform the item used to do the mitzvah into a holy item. By doing a mitzvah, you changed yourself. You became elevated. You became spiritual. What changed after the giving of the Torah? But once Hashem commands us to do mitzvahs after Matan Torah, now it's no longer us trying to change the nature of the world. It's Hashem telling us, here is your means to use my power to change the world. And therefore, it's possible to actually alter the physical item, that a piece of leather becomes tefillin, and now it's holy and has to be treated in a particular way. Why is there this distinction? As we well know, famously the Medrash tells us, that prior to the giving of the Torah, there was this decree in place that did not allow the higher realms to enter the lower space or the lower space to be elevated to the higher realms. The big the impact of the giving of the Torah was that it broke that barrier and now you could bring the higher realms into our space and you could elevate our space to the higher realms. Kloima meaning, What happened at the time of the giving of the Torah is the minute Hashem gives an instruction that this is what you should do, that item now becomes in the category of 
an item that is holy, or at least potentially holy, or the reverse, something which is unholy or even impure. Which means that that particular item, the skin of a kosher animal, has the potential to become the parchment that you use to make a Sefer Torah even before you've used it. It is already teed up and capable, potentially, to fulfill Hashem's mitzvah. Now you actually do the mitzvah. You now turn that potential into reality. So Hashem designed the world from the time of Matan Torah that this object has the potential to turn holy. When you do the mitzvah with it, you realize that potential, you bring the holiness into it, and you elevate the object towards Hashem. That's all of Torah mitzvahs, and we know this concept really well. Now we'll apply to how it also relates to the land of Israel. So we can understand how it applies to Israel. In spite of the fact that our acquisition of and ownership of Eretz Yisrael already occurred before the giving of the Torah, because Hashem said so in Brisbane episode. At that point in time, it was not yet possible that holiness should seep into the reality of that land and change the constitution of that land. But once the Torah was given, even before Yeshua conquered Eretz Israel, then Now everything changed. Now the land becomes susceptible to holiness. It becomes primed for holiness. Therefore, when the Jews conquer Israel and they take it over, at that point, that holiness comes to the surface and it actually becomes a holy land. So prior to the giving of the Torah, it's not shaykh that the land itself should have holiness in spite of our ownership. After Matan Torah, it is now capable of becoming holy. And when does the holiness actually take effect? When we conquer the land. So so that would explain the, the Medrash and the perspective that the Medrash has on, on Eretz Yisrael that it becomes a holy place. We can explain on a similar, in a similar vein how Rashi sees what happens with regards to the ownership of Eretz Yisrael according to Pshat. Of course we know that if Hashem gives us something that is completely unique and totally different to any ordinary person giving something to an ordinary recipient. When a person gives something to another person, you don't change the item, you just change its owner. And you change its location. Which means that afterwards, somebody else could come and buy it or even take it from that person. When Hashem gave us Eretz Yisrael, He didn't just give us the actual physical land, but He gave us the soul of that land, the essence of that land, the definition of that land. And therefore, therefore, from that moment on, that land can never have any relationship with any other nation. So that means that there is a change to the fundamental reality of this land. Which means that at that point in time, the land becomes Eretz Yisrael. Because Hashem, by giving it to us, didn't just transfer ownership, 
but he recalibrated the reality of this land. And therefore, from that moment and on, this land could never belong to another nation. Because even if other people had to chase us out of the land and take it over, and it would change hands, changing hands does not change the innate nature of an object. So Eretz Yisrael is fundamentally changed from the time that Hashem gives it to us, that it now has a unique connection to us that cannot be uprooted. So therefore, just like we already illustrated, that only after the giving of the Torah was it possible for us to imbue the full holiness into Eretz Yisrael. Not only were we given a permission, we were given a particular method that we had to use. We had to conquer the land in order to get it. As the expression goes, you have conquered the land, the land of the seven nations. Which at that point, in Rashi's language, right at the beginning of Chumash, that Hashem wanted initially to give Eretz Yisrael to the other nations, and then He wanted to take it from them and give it to us. When does that happen? In practice, when we conquer the land. Which means that at that point, we realize what Hashem had already done right from the beginning, that the whole land is His, and He can choose who to allocate it to. So He allocated it to us at the time of Rebiz Ben at that time, the nature of the land changed completely. It doesn't belong to anybody else. But we only capture that in practice when we conquer the land. So we can now finally satisfy ourselves to understand the difference between what the Medrash and Rashi each say about why Yitzchak could not leave Eretz Yisrael. So this principle that just like an oiler cannot leave the Beis HaMikdash, Yitzchak cannot leave Eretz Yisrael, and in both cases, you become possible. We initially thought that the reason that Yitzchak cannot leave Eretz Yisrael is because like an oiler cannot leave the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash is a holy place and you're too holy to leave. Eretz Yisrael is a holy place and Yitzchak, you're too holy to leave. That's how we understood it prior to this point. But now we understand it's not about Kedusha. It's not an issue of going from a higher grade to a lower grade holiness. The issue over here is leaving the precinct that was allocated for you. This is not unique only to an oiler. There are various kinds of meat that have similar restrictive clauses that you can't move the meat out of a certain precinct. Where do we learn this principle that you can't take the oiler outside of the base HaMikdash? From a halacha that has nothing to do with holy meat. It's halacha that if you find meat lying around in an open place, you have to assume that it is non-kosher, that it's trefer, that it was attacked by an animal, and you can't have it. And the halacha is, meat that has left its allocated precinct is automatically non-kosher. This meat belonged in a certain place, belonged in a butchery, belonged in a person's house. What's it doing out there in the field? Nothing to do with holiness. And therefore we derive from that, that because we see a principle that meat, the same principle, meat that's not where it should be is now considered non-kosher. We extend that to mean 
holy meat that's not where it should be, kochekochen that are outside of the base amigdash, kochem kalim that are outside of Yerushalayim. It's not about holiness. It's the fact that the meat is not where it was allocated as its boundaries. Or for that matter, the meat of a carbon Pesach inside Yerushalayim, but outside of the group that is supposed to be eating it. Or an animal that extends its hand out of the mother's womb. All of these are items that are now no longer kosher. Because if you've left the allocated area where you belong, that is what defiles you. Nothing to do with holiness. So therefore, so now we can follow the logic right through. The Medrash says that at Brisbane, Abbasarim Hashem says, Nasati Lazarachon, Nasati, sorry, it's always that declaration is action and makes Eretz Yisrael ours. Now that is our mechitza, that's our space. Therefore, Eretz Yisrael, Hoysak Faroz, Mi Brisbane, Abbasarim, Veilach Sheyeches, Lo Avois. From that moment and on, Eretz Yisrael belongs to the Avois. Now, when Hashem wants Yitzchak to become an Oilatmima at the time of the Akedah, then at that moment, Eretz Yisrael became the precinct where he belongs, unrelated to the degree of holiness that was imbued in the land of Israel at that time. In the same way as if you bring a carbon oila, by bringing that oila onto the Mizbech, you have now defined the walls of the base Amikdash as its precinct and it may not leave. That's why, according to the Medrash, to go outside of Eretz Yisrael would be the equivalent of the oiler going outside of the base Amikdash, exiting the area allocated for you to operate, which then destroys your value. So it's not because Eretz Yisrael is holy, it's because Eretz Yisrael is your space. That's the Medrash view, and that's what the Medrash says, it's like going out of the walls. Whereas Rashi, as we already mentioned, where Rashi says the announcement by Hashem to Avram Avinu that Eretz Yisrael will be yours and your descendants does not yet change the land. So why can't, Rashi, why can't Yitzchak leave? Rashi already identified to us in Pashas Chayisara, when Avram warned Eliezer, don't even think of taking my son to those lands. So, when Rashi comments on the words that Avram says, Hashem, God of the heavens, who took me out of my father's home, Rashi says, as we learned in the previous Sicha, Chayasura, Now Hashem is recognized not only as an abstract God of the heavens, but as a tangible God here on earth, because I have made that normal in people's minds through my efforts. But when Hashem took me out of Eretz, uh, out of Choron, my father's house. At that time, Hashem was only known as an abstraction and not something real and, and close. People didn't recognize Hashem and Hashem's name was not common on the, in this world. At that point, Avram was explaining to Eliezer, as we learned in the preceding Sicha, that if you're in my father's home, which means outside of Eretz Yisrael, in that place, then you're in a reality where they believe that Hashem has no relevance in this world. It's a theory. 
That's a place where people are not conscious of Hashem and they don't speak of Hashem. That's why you don't take Yitzchak there. Because it's a place that's devoid of godliness. Whereas here, not because of the holiness of the land, but because of Avram Avinu's efforts, here in this place, it's a household name. Hashem is a household name because I've worked hard at this. So don't take Yitzchak out, not because Eretz Yisrael is holy, but because out there they don't speak our language. And nevertheless, at the same time, Avraham Avinu says, look, you have to be honest. All I've done is I've got them to use the name of Hashem. But it hasn't fundamentally changed them. Which is why none of their daughters are suitable for my son. So there you have it. Why should Yitzchak not go outside of Rachel? Because outside Rachel is not Kedai. It's not suitable for him. It's a place where they're devoid of godliness. So therefore, if you're looking at somebody of Yitzchak's caliber and Oyla Tmima offered with complete dedication to Hashem, so now the actual status of the land is not so important because the land itself hasn't yet been upgraded to some level of holiness even the people haven't really moved and shifted in a meaningful way nevertheless it's inappropriate for you to go to because the concept of godliness being real is not part of their society. They don't even use Hashem's name, so that's why you don't go there. So according to the Medrash, the issue to focus on is you've taken on a status of an oiler, and an oiler has its precinct, and you dare not leave that precinct. According to Rashi, that's not Pshat. The Pshat is you don't go to a place that is not suitable to you because it's devoid of holiness. And we can explain the difference between the Medrash and Rashi on a deeper level too. If you're looking from the perspective of Medrash and the Jewish nation already had ownership over Eretz Yisrael at the time of Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Which is why Yitzchak could not leave that place because it's his place. Whereas according to Rashi, we were not yet the owners in practice of Eretz Yisrael. And that would only happen in the future when we'd conquer Eretz Yisrael under Yoshua. Which is why Yitzchak should not leave Eretz Yisrael, only because Chutz is just not suitable, it's just not right. So what's the distinction between Yisrael and Yonim? If you look from the perspective of Medrash, which is beyond the simple understanding, which means beyond looking at how things are at face value, which means you're looking at things in a more spiritual way, but not just an abstract spirituality, a spirituality that impacts our world. If I'm looking at things from a spiritual perspective, the minute Hashem says a word, that's already reality. So the minute Hashem says it's your land, it's your land. It's already had an effect. Medrash can afford to look at things from such a lofty vantage point. 
Whereas Rashi looks from a perspective of Pshat. Rashi says we can only read the world in the Pshat, in the simplest level, what happens in practice. Rashi says we can only look at what has actually physically happened in the world. So when does Eretz Yisrael become ours? When you can see it. When you can see that we've taken it over. At that point, it'll become ours. But on the other hand, the advantage that Rashi observes is once we do enter Eretz Yisrael, the whole nature of the place changes completely. And at that point, you can suddenly see that Hashem gave us not just a chunk of land, but the essence of the land, which is now linked to the essence of our being, both in Shinasis Eretz Yisrael to the point that it becomes the land of Israel, and it becomes a holy land, both in Tmidi Canal in a permanent fashion that nobody can ever undo, then in Mitzvah Hashem we should get to experience firsthand with the coming of Moshiach now.